chapter one of sixteenth century bristol this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by elaine webb bristol england sixteenth century bristol by john latimer chapter one perhaps it may not be uninteresting to readers with some taste for local history to give a few facts from authentic records respecting the life and doings of bristolians in the far-off days of henry the eighth the most important of these records are the account books of the corporation which commence in fifteen thirty one but they can be supplemented and illustrated by various other contemporary documents and some of the contrasts that can thus be made between the social customs of the sixteenth and of the twentieth centuries may prove at least amusing if not instructive the transcendent circumstance which differentiates the bristol which saw the accession of henry from the city of to-day is the religious faith of the inhabitants roman catholicism at the former period had reached the climax of its magnificence it was the church both of the state and of the people and there was not a whisper of dissent for nonconformity was punishable with a cruel death the young king was a fervent devotee and an amateur theologian and his book against luther gained for him from the pope in fifteen twenty one the proud title of defender of the faith a very few years suffice to work revolutionary changes but it may be worth while to endeavour to form an idea of what was really the local situation at the date that has just been named the town for it had not become a city was extremely limited in area and does not appear to have much increased in population during the previous two hundred years having in the meanwhile been frightfully ravaged by the black death and the plague it may be broadly described as being bounded by dolphin street and temple street on the east the course of the Froom along broadmead to st augustine's back on the north and west and the town wall between redcliffe and temple gates on the south around all this boundary line were institutions independent of corporate jurisdiction the royal castle with its extensive fortified precincts and the church and monastic buildings of the black friars lay on the east the priory of st james and its adjoining farmlands covered a vast space on the north the grey friary the nunnery of st mary magdalene the hospital of st bartholomew the carmelite friary the hospital of the gaunts and the abbey of st augustine each enclosing wide areas round their respective churches and houses entirely surrounded the north-western side of the borough while the hospital of st john the baptist and the augustian friary lying to the south continued the circuit to temple fee belonging to the military monks of st john who repudiated the civic jurisdiction claimed by the corporation there was thus no room for suburbs outside the walls 
even if there had been a desire for them but there is no evidence to show that the townsfolk felt any objection to the ecclesiastical circumvaliation many of their wills attest rather than satisfaction at the multitude of their ghostly comforters a few years later seven of the monkish churches around the city had been swept away and half of two others was demolished but though there was a rush to get a share of the royal plunder few additional dwellings were reared on the vacant sites until a much later date another peculiarity arising from the then national faith was the remarkable number of public holidays a chronicler of the fifteenth century observed that in the agricultural districts the aggregate number of holidays accounted for eight weeks in every year the total can hardly have been so large in trading towns but it was still very notable great church festivals called red letter days were of frequent occurrence when attendance at morning service was obligatory and as businesses of all kinds were suspended for a general possession of the civic body it is unlikely that much work was done in the afternoon many wealthy bristolians again had bequeathed large sums for the establishment of what were called chantries in the parish churches where in addition to daily prayers for the founders souls by the chaplain or chaplains supported by each endowment a grand anniversary service called an obit was held yearly attracting a vast attendance of all classes in fifteen forty eight when these endowments were seized for the profit of the crown an inquiry was held in bristol by the royal commissioners to ascertain the value of the local estates the amount reported by them was probably grossly underestimated for one of the inquisitors a notorious gambler afterwards hanged named partridge forestalled all the would-be purchasers by obtaining from his employers the government a grant of the entire property while a congenial colleague sir william sherrington master of the bristol mint who confessed in the following year to have committed enormous frauds in coining base money lent partridge the purchase money and took fully one half of the spoil as his own reward even if the value of the estates were justly rendered the total three hundred and sixty pounds per annum was equivalent to ten times that amount in modern currency the chantries of everard le french and william cannings in st nicholas and redcliffe churches were returned as of the yearly value of over thirty three pounds each and supported four priests who had no other duties to perform a rich merchant named knapp not only founded a chantry with two priests but built a special chapel for it dedicated to st john on the welsh back the site of which is now a little playground about twenty other chantries had at least one priest each independent of the parish incumbents and if we add about thirty friars who held daily services in their four churches but were all paid for taking part in general possessions the number of available clergymen in the town four hundred years ago 
exclusive of the numerous monks in two large monasteries, must have far exceeded the staff of the ancient parishes in the present day. It remains to be seen how these institutions affected public holidays. An anniversary orbit took place on the average about once in three weeks, all the year round, and potent means for securing the attendance of the townsfolk had been taken by the chantry founders. As a fair example of the general custom to secure the presence of the mayor and corporation in full state, the proctors of Helwy's Chantry in All Saints Church were directed to pay six shillings, eight dimes to the mayor, three shillings, four dimes to each of the sheriffs, is to the town clerk, four dimes to the sword-bearer, and three dimes each to the four civic sergeants, while, to allure the working classes, a silver penny was given to each of six hundred persons, about one-fifth of the adult population, when the chantry was established, and when the daily wage of an unskilled labourer did not exceed the amount of the dole. It is not surprising that work came to a standstill when an attractive street spectacle was backed up by the prospect of pedicure profit. Besides the orbits, there were various occasional pageants, some religious, some secular. About Whitsuntide, the guilds of weavers and cordwainers nearly went in pompous way to the chapel of St. Annie in the Wood, near Brisington, a spot greatly frequented by pilgrims, and more than once visited by royalty, to place before the altar two gigantic candles alleged by william of worcestershire to have been of the somewhat incredible length of eighty feet each and to have cost no less than five pounds equal to the quarterly wages of the mayor a few weeks before midsummer brought round the feast of corpus christi one of the greatest holidays of the year the members of every guild and practically every Bristolian belonged to a guild, assembled with music, flags, and banners to join in the splendid ecclesiastical procession through the streets, where the houses were decorated with tapestry, brilliant cloth, and garlands of flowers, and the afternoon was spent in the performance in the open air of miracle plays, in which every craft claimed its special part to be the enjoyment of the whole community the excitement caused by this festival can have scarcely subsided before the inhabitants were called upon to participate in the corporate parade called the setting of the watch on midsummer's eve in imitation of a similar ceremony in london which cost an enormous sum yearly the members of the chief trade companies who emulated each other in the display of gay dresses, banners, burning cressets, and torches, and in the supply of minstrels and musical instruments, marched in procession through the streets, the proceedings terminating in morris dancing and various games, in which the populace participated. The corporation left the chief expenditure of the day to be defrayed by the guilds, but provided a hundred and fourteen gallons of wine presumably for the subsequent suppers of the companies the weavers and tuckers receiving ten gallons each 
whilst the remainder was distributed amongst the other twenty-six fraternities when the streets were muddy and they were rarely otherwise the city treasurer also paid the cost of covering them with twenty or thirty tons of sand another civic outlay of the day is somewhat puzzling it would appear that the procession ended and the sports began upon bristol bridge and to that spot a great quantity of nettles cut down in the marsh queen square were invariably transported beforehand at the corporate charge the only plausible conjecture that can be suggested to explain this outlay is that the stinging plants were provided for a rough and tumble scaffold another setting of the watch of a precisely similar character nettles included took place on st peter's day in august the eve of st catherine in november was the most notable festival of the weavers then the leading and most numerous local handicraft according to the mayor's calendar written about fourteen ninety the mayor and members of the corporation after having been entertained in the weavers hall near temple church on spiced cake bread and wine the cups merrily filled about the house returned to their homes ready to receive at their doors st catherine's players making them to drink at their doors and rewarding them for their plays which must thus have been performed in the open streets a grand procession through all the thoroughfares took place on the following morning the corporation also made provisions for various outdoor sports extensive butts were maintained in the marsh for the practice of archery which was then obligatory on all capable of bearing arms and the place was largely resorted to by bowmen on sunday afternoons in the summer months in july a day was set apart for wrestling matches in the marsh and another and more popular competition of the same sort between townsmen and countrymen took place at lawrencetide in august at lawrence hill a prize of six shillings eight dimes being given out the city purse on each occasion as the second display required the corporate body to march a mile into the country a modest quencher became of course indispensable and in fifteen thirty two the city fathers disposed of six and a half gallons of wine costing five shillings four dimes more for bread one dime pears two shillings four dimes the bill for wine and fruit slightly varied in subsequent years but the penny for bread was a fixed quantity whatever might be the consumption of liquor in fifteen forty three there was a slight hitch in the arrangements explained in the accounts as follows paid the wrestlers on both sides four shillings the old custom was six shillings four dimes but for because the countryside brought not a goose according to the old custom therefore was paid about four shillings spent upon them at lafford's gate to smooth matters over four dimes soon after this wrestling competition in the worshipful mayor and his brethren suspended business at the tolsey and gave themselves a holiday in order to enjoy the cheerful sport of fishing in the foom in the presence of crowds of spectators as sometimes as much as four shillings were paid 
to the men that went into the water a large staff must have been employed to drag the nets the catch must also have been generally good for on one occasion the mayor was paid ten shillings because he did not go a-fishing other causes of distraction from work came from outside the city in the shape of travelling companies of play-actors and bear-keepers the king and several noblemen maintained these parties of strangers who were allowed to travel about the country when they were not required at court and were always welcome in fifteen thirty two the corporation gave ten shillings to the players of lord lyle and six shillings six dimes to those of the duke of richmond the king's illegitimate son whom henry once contemplated to proclaim heir to the throne in the same year from three shillings four dimes to five shillings each were bestowed on the bare wards of the duke of suffolk lord westmoreland and the duke of richmond bear baiting and ball baiting were two of the most favourite sports of the age and as unlike the drama they could be witnessed free of expense every exhibition attracted thousands of working men a civic ceremony which seems the most extraordinary to modern ideas was that which took place on december the sixth the feast of st nicholas at this festival a boy doubtless one of the servitors of the parish priests was solemnly instituted as a bishop and having been clothed in episcopal vestments delivered a sermon in st nicholas's church before the mayor and common council on whom he gravely pronounced his blessing and then says the mayor's calendar the spelling of which we modernize after dinner the said mayor sheriff and their brethren to assemble at the mayor's compter there waiting the bishop's coming playing the meanwhiles at dice the town clerk to find them dice and to have one penny of every raffle and when the bishop is come thither his chapel there to sing and the bishop to give them his blessings and then he and all his chapel to be served there with bread and wine and so depart the mayor sheriff and their brethren to hear the bishop's evensong at st nicholas church the ceremony of the boy bishop was of ancient date and was practised in all parts of the kingdom in twelve ninety nine edward i rewarded one of these mock prelates at newcastle with a sum now equivalent to forty pounds but conceived the bristol council of our day solemnly assembled to receive a madrigal boy befigged as a bishop whiling away their time with the dice-box which the town clerk on the lookout for his fee had at hand for the lord mayor and making four processions through the crowded streets to and from sham services at st nicholas it is perhaps hardly fair to include public executions in the list of holidays and yet they unquestionably filled the streets with non-workers they occurred once and sometimes twice every year as a certain issue of the season and there was always a small payment for carrying the ladder to and from st michael's hill there being no carts in bristol the unhappy convicts had to make their long journey from newgate to cotton on foot and were swung off the ladder by the hungman finally during christmas week the lord of misrule was in full supremacy 
and holiday keeping generally extended from christmas eve to twelfth night a day or two before the festies the mayor for the sake of public order made public proclamation that no inhabitant gentle or simple should go about murmuring with masked faces at night after the tolling of the curfew bell unless he carried a torch lantern candle or sconce and that no one should wear weapons by night or by day on pain of fine or imprisonment in a season of universal license it may be questioned whether much heed was paid to the regulations it was the season of unlimited guzzling the city magnates setting the example by an ordinance of the common council in fourteen seventy two the mayor's christmas drinking was fixed to take place on st stephen's day december the twenty sixth the sheriff's drinking on st john's day december the twenty seventh the senior bailiff's drinking on innocence day december the twenty eighth and that of the junior bailiff on new year's day and on twelfth day to go to the christmas drinking of the abbot of st augustine as of old custom if it be prayed by the abbot and convent End of chapter one